Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you guys. Happy New Year. As we have already seen and heard and read together, today the church around the world is celebrating Epiphany. The word Epiphany means to make known, it means to reveal. And at Epiphany, we traditionally remember the arrival of the Magi, the wise men who showed up with gifts to worship the child Jesus. The Magi are such a uh, prominent part of the nativity scene that it might be easy to assume that their purpose in the story is just to add some flair, some color to the story, bringing gifts and camels, but maybe a little redundant to Jesus' other visitors. But the meaning of the Magi coming and the revelation that we get to ponder in our hearts this morning has huge importance, has huge significance for people like you and me who are removed by a millennia and culture and ethnicity from the time and place of Jesus' birth. This morning we're going to be looking at a short passage in the first chapter of Colossians this morning where Paul makes reference to the glory of this mystery. And as we explore our passage, I hope that we will begin to see that the Magi's coming is really the first beautiful snapshot of the mystery that Paul is referring to, that Jesus' coming is way bigger than anyone ever imagined. His redemption will pierce through the darkness and offer light and hope to every corner of our world and every single person in it. So here's what Paul writes uh, to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. It's printed in your order of worship. You can also open up a Bible and read along. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for gathering us together this morning as your church, as your people. And thank you for the reminder of Epiphany that we are indeed included in the promise the promise, the hope of glory, that we will be transformed into the image of Christ, and not just us, but all of creation. Father, wherever we are at this morning, whatever kind of Christmas or New Year's we've had, we pray, Father, that you would speak to us, because each of us are eager, whether we know it or not, are eager to hear your voice, to speak truth and peace to us. Father, I pray that we would see the face of Jesus this morning and that we would be transformed by it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, my family and I, uh, we live uh, just a few blocks away from a Trader Joe's, which means that we go there a lot. And when I mean a lot, I mean like every day um, we are in there. There is an employee named Kate who is kind of the matriarch of the store. And for some reason that we don't totally understand, Miss Kate has decided to bestow her favor on Rachel and the kids. She loves them. Now, what this has meant is that every once in a while, uh, when we come in, she sees us come in the store. She'll say, oh, good, I'm glad you came in today. And then she'll lead the kids to a display, pick out something neat from it, and say, I think you should have this. And then she signs her name on the barcode and say, tell them at the register, it's from Kate. And we have, we have come home with flowers and chocolates and plants. And in the past month, three different kinds of gingerbread kits, thanks to this overwhelming generosity. Now, it goes without saying that this is a delightfully unexpected experience to have at a grocery store. This is never what you think is going to happen when you walk in to buy milk. But this position of favor is unearned. It is a complete surprise, and it has enriched our lives way beyond the gift of gingerbread kits. We feel watched for and cared about and invited in. Now, in a similar way, behind Paul's dense prose in our passage, he is bursting with excitement to share what he calls the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generations. I mean, Paul is giddy to tell the Colossians the good news that they are now the object of God's favor. And this message is so important to Paul that he says that he actually rejoices in his sufferings if it means that the Colossians can grasp what this means for their lives. I mean, that is what Paul is referring to in verse 24 when he says that his suffering is filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction on behalf of the church. Now, we know based on what Paul has written earlier in his letter about Jesus' sufficiency to redeem God's people and all of creation, it is clear that Paul does not mean that Jesus' death and resurrection needs to be somehow supplemented by his or our sufferings. You see, what is lacking, though, is that the good news that God invites all people into his favor is not yet fully known in the world. It is still hidden from those on the outside. And so if Paul has to suffer, and indeed he will, to share this good news with the Gentiles, so be it. Now, specifically, Paul is excited about delivering the good news to the Gentiles, those who were on the outside but are now being brought into the covenant family. I mean, think about it. This is such a big deal to Paul because the main plot of the Old Testament is God making a covenant with Abraham, promising to be faithful to his children and children's children, that, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And he promised a Messiah would come to rescue them from their oppression restore their homeland and their dignity as a people. And while 
we have sure hints in the Old Testament, like in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 60, that God's plan is way bigger than one ethnic group. Up until this moment, the Gentiles have only gotten the crumbs that fell from the table. If, if they were drawn to Israel's God, they were allowed to worship, but only in the outermost courts of the temple. They wouldn't be invited in to eat at the table with respectable Jews because they were outsiders. And I think this is why the story of the Magi is an epiphany. The Magi are as Gentile as you can be. They were astronomers who had spent their whole lives watching the skies. And when they saw a star that they read as meaning that a new king had been born, they set out to follow it. And when they get as far west as they can go before running into the Mediterranean Sea, they make a stop at the place where it would make sense that a baby king would be found. And that is the palace in Judea. But there's no baby there. But they do learn that the prophecy says that he should be born in Bethlehem. So the Magi continue on their way and somehow, somehow manage to find the house where the toddler Jesus and his family live. And the Magi bow down in worship, offering him gifts befitting a king. The visit of the Magi is the first picture that we have in the Gospels fulfilling what the angels say that brought good, uh, glad tidings of great joy for all the people. The face of Jesus is recognized as king by those outside of the promise. As we read in Isaiah, nations have come to your light. Now the kings being led to Jesus and laying their gifts at his feet is really a foretaste of God's intention for the world. That his light, that his goodness and rescue would gather all people and all of creation. As Paul exclaims in our passage, the mystery of epiphany is this. In verse 27, that God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Epiphany is the revelation of the inclusiveness of the gospel. You know, Paul is saying to the Colossians, this little church, Christ dwells in you. This should blow your mind. You who were far off have been invited in. You who were looked down upon have been given favor. You who were the odd man out are now the beloved guest of honor at the party. Nobody thought it was possible, but God planned it all along to make you daughters and sons, and in Jesus he has made a way. And Paul's deepest prayer, and the end for which he worked so hard and would eventually give his life, was that these believers who formerly did not belong would come to full maturity, knowing their identity as daughters and sons, deep in their marrow. His prayer is that this would be the most real truth that defined their lives. That every decision, 
every word, every hope and dream that they had would flow out of a surety that I have a father who loves me and watches over me. That I have an elder brother who laid down his life for me and forever speaks my name before our father. That I have a place in the family, belonging, not because of where or how I was born, but because we were all orphans and adopted and given his name. And church, this is true for us as well. You and I did not start out with the place at the table. And you know, some of us feel that very deeply. This invitation is for those who feel on the outside, who feel unwanted and uncelebrated, who feel unseen and unknown, maybe even by the very people who are supposed to know us best. This good news of Paul's, the invitation to experience God's favor, is for you. It is for you and it is for me. And it's not just an invitation to be part of God's family. It is an invitation to grow up in maturity, wholeness, completeness within that family. This is why Paul writes at the end of our passage, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul desperately desires for us to grow up in our faith, to realize and live out the full extent of God's favor that God has bestowed on us. In fact, the whole letter of Colossians is full of Paul praying and encouraging these Gentile believers towards, toward maturity, Matter of fact, at the beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, Paul is praying that they would grow in knowledge, wisdom and understanding, and endurance, and patience, and bearing fruit in every good work. And at the very end of his letter, chapter 4, verse 12, Paul prays that they may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. And Paul prays for them because he knows that the power of darkness will stand against our growing into people who fully comprehend the height and the depth and the width of God's love for us and exercising the full power of his favor and his mercy in our lives. Paul knows this. Matter of fact, in the Colossian church that came in the form of influential people trying to persuade this young church that observing certain rituals and disciplines was the path to growing in favor with God. Darkness tempted them to live in fear that they would be put out in the cold again if they didn't try hard enough or if they didn't do the right things. And as we think about the Magi again, if we read between the lines of Matthew's gospel story, we can imagine how the Magi would have felt when they realized that they had unwittingly given Herod the information he needed 
to carry out the slaughter of innocent children. That darkness could have well threatened to replace their new sense of belonging with shame. Now, I don't know the particular ways that darkness tries to get in between you and your knowing God's favor in your life. For some of us, it may be the loneliness of suffering illness or loss. For others of us, it may be the temptation of despair as we read and watch the news day in and day out. It may be that the rejection of a friend or families or our families feels even more real than God's acceptance. But when Jesus comes, we read in John, he comes as the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. And church, this means that if we want to grow in our humanity, if we want to mature in wisdom and insight, if we want to gain the courage and fortitude to do God's good work in the world and to defy darkness, what we need is not more religion or more morality, but to turn our face to Jesus time in and time out again and again. Only so far as we come face to face with his goodness and his mercy and his delight and his power, and his winsome invitation to be yoked with him, will we be changed? We will begin to look like him. Our elder brother, Jesus. He came into the darkness so that the invitation, which was once hidden, is now being brought into the light of his love. The light of the world gives us his light so that when we walk into darkness, not if, when we walk into the darkness that surrounds us, we get to live out our identity as children of light. And church, please don't miss this. This is Christian maturity. This is what it means to grow up in our faith. It is a true owning of the identity that we have as daughters and sons. And then, like the star that the Magi saw in the sky that leads to the true light, we become like stars that shine brightly in the places that we find ourselves, in our workplace, in our school, in our neighborhood, in our families, offering surprising goodness and mercy and delight and winsome invitation to the people whose paths cross ours. You know, more and more I, I am learning that it's the small, seemingly emphasis, in, uh, insignificant daily acts of love, those little flickers of light over a lifetime that are the acts of redemption that the Spirit uses to bring Jesus' light to the world. It's through a kind word, a generous gesture of friendship, a sincere prayer offered on another's behalf, a humble apology, an unexpected invitation to be heard and seen, an extension of hospitality, 
You see, these simple acts are holy work. And it's work that can only become the pattern of our lives by the power of God's Spirit that lives in us. You see, when we look around and see the darkness, it is not the whole story. And the work of Christ in our lives is our hope. It is our hope of glory that inoculates us from the despair in the face of darkness. Here's the good news, church. The darkness is not dark enough for Jesus. It never will be. And by extension, the, the darkness cannot discourage us from living out our new identity in Jesus, that of sons and daughters of God, and continuing in our walk with Jesus towards wholeness and healing and redemption for ourselves and for the whole world. You know, like Miss Kate, who delights in bestowing favor to people she barely knows. So we get to show the love and the generosity of Christ by showing honor and glory and favor to the strangers and the familiar faces that come across our path daily. Church, that is what we have been made for. That is what makes us feel fully alive to see the riches of the glory of Christ and to give it away free of charge with no strings attached. And when we do this, in faith, the world begins to see the mystery unfold, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we get to remember today that we are not outsiders anymore, that we have been brought in. And because we know what it means to to, to feel as outsiders, may we, may we fight, may we work towards making those who feel as outsiders, um, bring them in so that they can experience what it feels like to experience your favor and your grace and your mercy. Father, may we walk out of here, especially as we participate at this table in a few moments, your favor that you have bestowed on us in Jesus, that your face is one of delight when you see us and you love us because of what he has done for us. May that be the truest reality of our lives in this new year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.